The Geopolitics and Empire podcast is joined by Ovigwe Egwegu. He is an international security analyst based in Nigeria who specializes in security, diplomacy, geopolitics, global system transformation, conflict, and peace. We'll be looking at Africa and geopolitics in the context of the new Cold War, including the numerous actors who are continuing to vie for influence and which are not limited to the United States, the EU, Russia, China, Turkey, and Middle Eastern states. We'll also look at African debt relief and China decoupling. I would like to remind listeners to subscribe to all of our channels on social media, to share and like our material, and to leave us a podcast rating and review. Please do bookmark and subscribe to our new channels on BitChute and Brighteon, because as YouTube has officially become the new mainstream media, alternative viewpoints are summarily dismissed, deleted, and memory hold, as we've experienced. So I would also urge listeners to subscribe to our free email list that includes our weekly interview and collection of news headlines. And you can leave us a donation via Bitcoin, PayPal, Patreon, and also now Subscribestar. Just yesterday, we reached the maximum user limit for our email lists services free tier. And so now we must pay a new costly annual fee. And so donations go to pay for these essential services. Now onto our guest and African geopolitics. How are you doing these days, Ovigwe? Uh, you're currently in Nigeria, yes? Yes, I'm in Abuja, the capital city of Nigeria. I'm doing fine. And you? I'm doing well. That's good to hear. So I thought before we start that you would educate us a bit on how Africans uh, today view the foreign influences vying for economic, cultural, and political control in Africa. You know, for many years, it's been my dream to go visit Africa. But now with the economic problems that we're facing, the historic economic problems and the whole COVID situation and the difficulty of travel, I don't know if that's going to uh, become a reality. But whether we're talking about the Western powers, Russia, China, the Middle East, you know, we all know the history of imperialism in Africa. Uh, and so maybe if you can enlighten us a bit, what is uh, the opinion or feeling uh, of Africans today regarding what's going on? Yeah, I think and it's been quite quiet. You know, I think Africa started making the news again for other stuff other than poverty and, and humanitarian missions from around 2000 because you know, in the, the 90s was really, was like the last decade where we had, was like quiet. I remember that you New know, Times article, that's, you know, the Forgotten Continent, or there were so many negative headlines that flew, you know, with African stories. But I think around 2000, when we started getting some of our act together as a continent, first of all, because, you know, I think one of the good things we've done as a continent was, you know, repurpose the OAU to get to the AU, the AU being very, very quite committed to new ag Agenda 2063. And all of this background work the continent has been doing with its international partners sort of like created a template for like a new Africa, in quote. And uh, when the Chinese started coming into Africa, I think one of the first countries, they, one of the first countries that they you know, started making waves was you know, Ethiopia and then Angola. So, with the coming of China and Chinese investments, you know, spreading from Ethiopia to Angola, you know, forming good partnership with, you know, South Africa, South Africa eventually becoming, you know, a member of BRICS, even in my own country, Nigeria, just about Kenya also, as, the, you know, with coming of China, there was this new enthusiasm in Africa. What we now have in, in Africa is, you know, China has overtaken other partners as the biggest trade country for many African uh, African countries, uh, biggest trade partner for many African countries, I think for about 10 years. But, you know, you begin to see this new East interest in Africa, not just from the Chinese, but from all other big players like 
in the United States sees Africa as something, uh, some of uh, Europe's backyard or their cousins' backyard, where they they have their own int- independent interests on the continent. But I've always looked at U.S. foreign policy through the lens of Europe because you know West Africa is seen something like between France uh, and uh, and UK and the United Kingdom. You know, uh, Southern Africa seems to be like you know Britain's sphere of influence and so on and so forth. But with uh, the U.S. still being the pre- you know, the preeminent power uh, and it being in, in a geopolitical uh, rivalry with, with China, there is this new competition, or let's say Cold War, you know, emerging in global space. And Africa, again, is being at the center of it because, you know, whether it's in trade, whether it's in technology, the U.S. and China, you know, are logger, loggerheads, you know, battling each other. You know, the Europeans also, sit, you know, still interested in Africa. But I think uh, Europe, Europe-Africa relation, relations has always been, you know, very content to us because on one hand, they, they, they talk a lot of development, 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 uh, and supporting Africa, you know, to, to develop. But nobody really sees much that is being done in terms of how, how that development is going to be done, is going to be achieved. All you, what you get most of the time, a massive uh, donations towards maybe humanitarian work. You know, there's some trade, of course, and there's also issues that are core to Europe's interest, like secu- security, you know, trans-Sahara migration, into Europe, you know, Europe has been sort of forced to externalize its border into North Africa. So, if you see the, if you look at Europe's strategy, for, new strategy for Africa, which was launched, you know, about two months back, uh, Ursula, Ursula, that's the EU president, and the AU sat over a period of like two, three weeks, you know, discuss and then announced it. Although the African Union is not enthusiastic about it, because Africa is saying. It wants to develop its own strategy. But if you even look at what Europeans are saying, you know, things like sustainability, you know, things like gender issues or gender e- equality, you know, education, climate change, you know, migration, all of these are already in our own e- uh, African Union Agenda 2063, right? So the Europeans didn't really bring anything new in terms of goals. So what they might have brought is this is how we think Africa should, you know, approach these issues, uh, President or the Chancellor of Germany, uh, Angela Merkel, mentioned a meeting in, in Europe of African leaders, and she just wants, you know, to listen. I mean, what what kind of what kind of you know a, a summit or conference are we talking about where we just want to li- a listening party or what? You know, if we have a continent that is trying to be better, and we want a case where the foreign players are looking to Africa's own collective approach to development. As well as see how they can contribute or and how they can partner, not coming from outside and telling us this is how you should do, you know, what what you want to do. So, looking at all of this, whether it's you know the China, whether it's whether it's in the United States, whether it's you know France, you know the or the, the bigger European Union, it's a very interesting time to specialize in African affairs, you know, or be an African involved in politics because there's always this battle of who is doing the most for Africa or who is not doing enough or who is, you know, speaking and not really, not necessarily doing anything. But all of these issues, the most fundamental thing that everybody has to put at back of their mind is that we Africans, we also want to develop too. You know, we might have issues with corruption, you know, our leadership and, you know, misrule, but uh, the fundamental issue, whether it's in the Sahel, remains peace, Right. But if you if we pick an example, you know, the United States and France now, you know, they are locked in this 
you know, tussle over who should lead, you know, uh, MINUSMA, that's the United uh, UN mission, you know, Mali. But let's not forget that you know, the issue we're suffering today in the Sahel is as a result of the ousting of Gaddafi, right? Because, and it was very clear before the ousting of Gaddafi, when, before NATO started interve intervention in the Libyan crisis then, the African Union, through then it was Jacob Zuma, the president of South Africa, who went all the way to the African Union to, to decry uh, NATO's involvement. And there was a collective statement from the African Union condemning the attempt or the discussion that was coming out of Europe and the United States that NATO is going to be involved in, in the war. What happened, Africa was ignored. NATO got involved, bombed Libya out of oblivion. And then we, we had this case where there was massive pouring of weapons from Libya further south you know, into, into the Sahel. And you could trace the increase in violence and activity of terrorist organizations in, in the Sahel from you know, the point of Gaddafi's death all the way from 2011, 2012, you know, was a huge spike, whether it's Boko Haram activity, whether it's uh, Al-Qaeda, you know, in the Islamic Maghreb, whether it's, uh, ISIS, you know, and then ISIS later came, then we had ISIS in, you know, West African province. All of these groups, they were, they were either just festering then or they weren't even known. But the moment we had the breakdown of law and order in you know, in Libya, in Libya, it was a huge uh, disaster for, for the Sahel. And then all of these groups began receiving cheap, you know, arms, you know, and fighters, and of course, they terrorizing. Within six or seven months of Gaddafi falling, Mali was almost, it was technically a failed state. It's, it's very important. And again, then maybe they thought that would, that would be the last of it, because we're, then we were suffering. But immediately, you know, the issue in Syria went out of, out of uh, control. Libya now became a point for uh, migrants to, to take, take, on, uh, to, uh, take on their journey towards Europe. So the, the problem starts to impact the, the, the local space. Before you know it, it becomes a, a foreign policy, uh, or, sorry, a disaster for, for them because that always backfires. And it's something that uh, I would say the Chinese have over, you know, the, the Western counterparts in, in the continent of Africa because there seems to be more rapport between, you know, Beijing and leaders on the continent. If African leaders feel China respects their voice, China gives them uh, a listening ear to, as to how things should be done. That doesn't mean the Chinese do not push. That's something, that's a major issue in the continent of Africa, where we feel the East seems to listen to us more, the West doesn't listen, to, listen enough, and they come giving you lectures and telling you how to do what, you know, you think you want to do for yourself. So, from last year, even there are even new players coming up. Russia already, you know, coming back to the, you know, to the African space after so many years away. And then we had the Russian African summit, not as big as uh, you get with the FOCAC, that's the Forum for China Africa Cooperation. You know, not as uh, in terms of attendance, it was really good. We had like four, about forty-one presidents or head, heads of government from the African con uh, continent uh, out of 54 member con uh, countries. So it's very important that Russia is also, also is coming back to the African continent because no matter the legacy of the Soviet Union in some countries, let me be like in Somalia, there's still there are many countries in the continent of Africa today that won't be independent or they won't have gotten their independence at the time that they did without support from the, from the, from the Soviet Union. So uh, I think it's a, it's a very important time 
prepared to begin to look at this relationship through the lens of, of its own interest. We, Russia has already it, it entered the continent with a bang, I would say, because you could see within a year of uh, entering into the conflict in Central Africa Republic, you know, Russia was able to, con- you know, to contribute to the peace process in a very significant manner. Most of that, the African Union, you know, Peace and Security uh, Commission, you know, actu- actually, you know, gave uh, kudos to the Russian side for the constructive role that it played. So now we have some form of basis upon which to, you know, to build a more peaceful society in Central Africa Republic. Uh, yeah, of course, you know, there was this video that emerged in social media of Central African Republic troops singing a, a Russian song as they were, they were marching. And there was a lot of talk, oh, you know, Ru- Africans are being colonized again, you know, by the, by the Russians. And when last year also during, uh, you know, uh, Liberation Day Rwanda, you know, the Rwandan uh, army was marching and they were, the, the commands were, were in uh, Mandarin. Because they had, you know, Chinese instructors changing the approach to, you know, to parade and march past. There was also this talk of, oh, uh, Africa has been colonized, you know, by China. Forgetting that most of Africa has been marching to British, you know, and French, you know, style, depending on who, who colonized them. But this is not necessarily a matter of, okay, because, you know, the, the, we've colonized by Britain, now we have to move and you're dissatisfied, you should move to the Russian style or to move to the Chinese style. I think the underlying issue is let us decide, we didn't decide to be colonized by the British or we didn't decide to adopt British style, we didn't decide to adopt the French style, those were forced upon us, right? But if today in our military cooperation we want to adopt the Chinese style, that's our choice. It's the choice of the African countries to say, okay, we admire how the Chinese march or we admire how you know the, the, they operate, we want to adopt this style and so on and so forth. Yes, it's not perfect. But that's just, that's just how it is. Every country in Africa today looks up to maybe a particular country before the model which they, de- which they develop. Rwanda, for instance, there's a lot of talk about Rwanda modeling after Singapore. You know, Singapore is not an imperial power. It's just, you know, looking at your country and similarities with other countries and seeing what you can learn from them, you know, how you can adopt their systems, how you can use that and, and uh, you know, use imbibe it in a way that you can use you know to develop so whether it's in security whether it's in development whether it's in environment and other areas i think it's very important that uh, africa is not robbed of its agency in how it should develop let's give an example now issue with with china i think china is like the biggest uh, player and, uh, and newsmaker on the continent today at the moment the issue is on debt you know, debt relief and before the Chinese came up to say, oh, they are open to negotiating on bilateral terms, African governments have been give, signaling that they want to negotiate collectively. That wasn't even possible because some countries are in a poorer shape you know, than, than, than others. But as an African, I would say, yes, it would have been better if we could get a collective bargain and, and negotiate collectively with the Chinese. But that's not, that's not how they, they operate. That's not how they operate, and they want to do it. And but what, what does Africa do? It has to, you know, to play along. In Nigeria, for instance, our government is already looking at debt or loans taken from China all the way back to 2000, because there's a lot of talk about about that all of this, you know, Chinese uh, approaches to development or Chinese financing. We are also doing due diligence. It's, it's very important that the U.S. and the West don't just 
look at Africa as that part of the world that doesn't know what it's doing. You know, we're, look, we're, we're studying Chinese also. We, we know we know colonialists or we know imperialists when we see them because, you know, we've, we've had like long time of experience with them. The issue going forward, whether it's in debt, whether it's in you know, post-coronavirus reconstruction of the world order or, you know, international trade, you know, revitalization of, you know, economic co- cooperation, it's very important that we're not looking east, we're not looking west, but we're looking forward. And for us to look forward, we have to be very, very cautious and understand in this time of global competition, under what order do we want to live? Like, do we want, do we want, you know, the Western, uh, Western-led international system? How has that worked for us? We've had decades since our, since independence. All we've done is pretty much liberalized, liberalized. There's been, you know, there's one, one or two times where you get leaders, especially after colonization. We had Sekoture, we had Robert Kaunda, we had some very vibrant leaders in you know, Thomas Sankara. Majority of them were killed by either by CIA backers or by by the by the French. So they they denied Africa they denied Africa the foundation builders and all we got after that were you know leaders who just send Mother May I to you know to Paris or to London before they get anything done and that has really hurt our development and before you know it the IMF and the World Bank came with their austerity measures social adjustment program and we kept the privatizing 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 to the point where the states are demoralized they don't have power to to do anything because they don't even have sources of you know, of, of income so it's it's very important now that as we're going forward the coronavirus has given africa a time to take stock of how it has approached development till date and it's it's been very poor there are very few countries today that have been able to you know really do enough testing They've been able to, you know, to really socially mobilize their population in a coordinated manner. Countries like Botswana have done really well. Countries like uh, uh, Namibia also don't done very well. Rwanda done very well. You know, my country Nigeria not not so well. Uh, we've yes we've upped our testing, but we're not, we're not testing aggressively enough. We we do is sensitize, sensitize, sensitize. And one of the problems I've seen with the coronavirus is that. We just adopted, you know, the lockdown uh, model, forgetting that we don't have the economic resilience, or the people don't have the economic resilience to to leave a, a lockdown. So within two weeks, it was a massive issue of crime upsurge in in Nigeria because you know we can't you, you can't we can't afford it. People can't stay home, and that's why going forward from the corona coronavirus, we have to really ask ourselves this question because as it is now, we are at the crossroads in global politics. The the Chinese emerging Chinese order with the Better Road Initiative with coordination with you know some of its very key strategic partners like Russia trying to to reshape you know global politics in a way that I think is more pro South South cooperation right now we've seen what the West can offer in terms of these structures this is how it is there the Western institutions you know like IMF like the World Bank like NATO you know there's the Western economic model. Which is, you know, very, very free market. For us now, we have to look at that. How has that worked for us? You know, what what is the Chinese? What are what are they offering? And that should guide how we really, really think of uh, going forward with all of these partners. Because if we do not get it right, it's going to be a huge problem. Just as I was talking to a, you know, a colleague in Germany, and I was saying, they, they, very soon there may be a time where Africa should sit and with the, if we are going to have like a non-alignment pact. 
as the African Union or as African co- countries to say, okay, it's it's getting really fierce in this, in the South China Sea and even the wider Asian Pacific. Even here at at home, there's so much anti-China uh, coverage that we see, you know, in mainstream uh, media, especially those from the US, the BBC, uh, CNN, and also in Europe too, like BBC and so on and so forth. So, do we as a continent do we want to take sides? Or we want, or we we want a, you know take a, like a, a neutral position, just like we did during the first Cold War when it was U.S. and U.S.S.R. So I think it's very important that we begin to start think having these conversations because if we don't, we are just going to you know have like a disastrous series of 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 events once the Cold War game really gets heated up because it's already heating up. I think that's part of the reason why the U.S. is just pulling out of all of these treaties. You know, the ABM is gone, the INF is gone, you know, recently Open Skies is gone, the, you know, the, the big daddy of them all, which is, you know, starts, is due to expire next year. Once we, we, all of this science tells you, you know, China also is, is militarizing, it's arming up itself, this defense budget for this year, you know, 6.6% increase. It tells you they are, they are launching new de- destroyers almost every month. And, you know, so there's a lot of build up between China and, and, and the US. You know, in once you have a cold war, cold war basically just you know means you have intense political confrontation you know between two two countries, and that and characterized by real propaganda coverage of news uh, on each other. So once we understand that there's a cold war brewing in, in international system, we as Africans we need to start having a conversation on how do we react to this system and how can we shape you know this system and how do we play with the system so that it's now. Our interests have to be discussed, you know, through the lens of that Cold War, because you never know how heated it's going to get. And just to clarify a bit or, or summarize, so it seems you've given us a great uh, insight and overview, but would you say then Africa as a continent is now leaning a little bit more toward, say, China and Russia and overall the sentiment whatever Europe and the U.S. have to offer, as well as Russia and China, there are pluses and minuses for all actors, but is there generally a more positive view towards China than, than negative? No, I think it depends on the country, but generally speaking, I think one, one of the, one of the, pos, one of the uh, things that work for the Chinese African continent is that there is no history of colonialism on the continent, right? That, that that might seem as something that is small and it's way in the past, but it shaped how Africans look at the Chinese. So if you look at if you look at the relationship today, it's mostly because we get a lot of uh, loans from, from from the Chinese to fund our development you know uh, programs, and that that has really you know helped with Africa's dev- uh, the shiny growth you are seeing you know the Standard gauge uh, railway in uh, you know in Kenya, the one cutting through several countries, Uganda, you know in West Africa, the, in Nigeria, for instance, there are several projects, you know, railway uh, project ports, you know being built, airports. These are things Africa has, have lacked for decades, right? I can't remember the last airport that would say oh it was fully funded by the IMF on the continent of Africa. Ethiopia hadn't built a railway line in about a hundred years before you know Chinese funded. You know, railway lines. You know, in Ethiopia, that says a lot, right? So the infrastructure gap that China has really, uh, you know, when I say the infrastructure gap that China has really contributed towards 
closing is one of the reasons why the Chinese are popular on the continent today, right? So if at the people-to-people level, there are issues, right? There are issues, you know, can, uh, there's understanding issues, there are communication issues, even with issue in Guangzhou that came up not so long ago about discrimination against Africans, that impact the people-to-people relationship, right? But politically, you know, and internationally, looking at state-to-state relations, Relations. I think it's it's very good. The Chinese are already showing one of the pressing issues today for us is debt. You know, having been able to repay this debt, and the Chinese are already saying they are open to debt relief. You know, rescheduling payments just to ensure that African countries can can recover. The West, for instance, yes, we've seen where money come from the IMF to Nigeria, three point six billion dollars. You know, some money have gone to Ghana. You know, like as, as South Africa also negotiating. There's no easy way to look at who is being favored or who is not being favored. I think it depends on the issue that is being looked at. For instance, if we are looking at the issue of um, development, there seems to be, when I talk about development, I mean real development like infrastructure, with, there seem to be more affinity towards the Chinese, right? Uh, but maybe development programs like humanitarian affairs and some stuff like that, then we we'll see more of the activity from Western, Western government. They have security, yeah, the West seems to still be in the lead. So it depends on the area, you know, the areas we're, we're looking at. And if for security, for instance, there's just as much as they contribute, there's also still a lot of Chinese troop uh, blue helmets in the, con- in the continent also. So it's, um, for a country like Zimbabwe, it's clearly the East. What they have as a foreign policy is nothing short of look East kind of, you know, um, policy. Uh, countries like Kenya tend to be more open, more flexible, but they also still, you know, they're open to both sides, but a lot of their engagement is increasing, increasing towards China, to even India. Uh, then Somalia, for instance, very, very much ignored by major power, major players, except for de- uh, development and humanitarian intervention. But the talks have also invested a lot in into building, you know, Somalia. And it's very, very important that, you know, Somali, the uh, Somalis, Today, they have a very close relationship with, with the talks because they were they were the first and if not the only country to really start looking at Somalia as a possibility after a long period of civil unrest, war, and Al-Shabaab, you know, uh, tearing the place you know, apart. Nobody really wanted to put money at the time when, you know, the talks, if under the leadership of Erdogan, began to do that. That doesn't mean, you know, the talks have a perfect foreign policy in Africa, but in Somalia, they are acting constructively. Nigeria, for instance, we, we always had like a very open economic diplomacy kind of foreign policy where it's about economic cooperation. So we are doing trade with you, we're looking in your direction. If we're doing trade with the West tomorrow, we're looking in your, in your direction. Countries like South Africa, of course, because they are part of the Belt and Road, uh, really more intimate in, in China's BRICS, that's China-led BRIC uh, alignment or actor constellation, they seem to be very, very more, clearly more pro, you know, to China. Some of the countries like Morocco, for instance, they seem to have a closer tie with, with Europe and the EU, maybe because of their proximity and also because the, their own development strategy and plan. You know, Europe seems, seems to be, you know, uh, a better uh, partner for them. So I think there's no umbrella. There's no easy way to just look at the issue of where and where Africa is looking and where Africa is not looking. It is specific to countries and also specific to issues. And you, something you've written about for the Africa report and has been talked about recently was this U.S. wanting to draw down its presence uh, in terms of troops and soldiers in Africa. Do you think that's going to happen or 
Because we know that the U.S. has you know, 800 military bases around the world, a number of them in Africa. They run secret wars and covert ops uh, all around Afri Africa. But do you think the U.S. is just uh, that they're going to draw down troops? No, I, th I think what you, what you see, it would even be an inc incre increment in, in troop you know, um, capacity or let's say number in a continent. What, 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 when that report came out, yeah, it was quite shocking for me because, you know, I, I felt one of the main, one of the main stories that we've been sold in, uh, for US, US troop presence in the continent of Africa has been counterterrorism. But that's not easing up anytime soon. It's, if anything, between, just before coronavirus, it was really massive. From December to January, there were series and series of attacks across, you know, especially in, in the Burkina Faso, Niger, border, border area, also in the Lake Chad re region. So when the news came that the U.S. is considering pulling troops out of Africa, it was, it was quite shocking because it's at a time where there's an increase in terrorism. And this is what you people told us, that you were here in a way to, you know, to fight. So, but I think it's also because the U.S. is moving, like we saw, you know, with Bolton announcing that as the former national security advisor to Trump saying, oh, there's going to, oh, sorry, Mattis, rather, Jim, uh, Jim Mattis, defense uh, secretary was saying, there's, there's making, they are making that shift towards great power competition with China. So terrorism is no longer the, you know, the strategic, uh, you know, objective or is the issue for the foreign policy issue for the, for the DOD. So, Maybe that's why something very important to note because most of the regional security forces they've come to rely on U.S. intelligence, you and uh, logistics support, especially the French, because the French have what we call Operation Bakan. Bakan is like the major, you know, French-led operation to really push out, you know, terrorism, you know, other transnational criminal activities like smuggling, trafficking, you know, and so on and, and so forth. So. But the French rely so much on um, U, uh, U.S. drone base in Agadez, U.S. Uh, operations to actually car carry out, uh, to support the counterterrorism operation around the Sahel region. However, there, there's been reports, there's this beautiful report on, 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 on Al Jazeera poking holes at the real reason why the French are in West Africa, you know, citing you know, de huge deposits of Natural resources in this in the Sahel, protecting their in, their interests, you know, in places like Niger and you know, and Chad and so on and so forth. So yes, of course, there's always, and I always like to tell uh, people who can understand that combating terrorism in West Africa is not necessarily in the West interest because Boko Haram is never going to to bomb London tomorrow or, or Paris tomorrow. Al Qaeda in Islamic uh, in the Maghreb probably won't. Yes, they can act as launching pad for other terrorist organizations from the from the rest of the world, rest of the world, like you want AQ in the Arab Peninsula. But it's not; it's really it's primarily our problem. And the regional security forces have come together to create what they call a G5 Sahel force, and that is so underfunded that it's is barely doing anything, right? So it, the U.S. trying to pull out of Africa was it, it has to be done in a very constructive way where you have to pull in all the security partners to say, okay, how can we ensure that when we leave, there won't be like a gap that then reduces the effectiveness or the operational capability of all this regional security force, you know, activity to stamp out terrorism. So for 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 us, it's just uh, it's never going to happen, in my opinion, because I, I feel when even no matter how the U.S. tries to 
to not have bases or run bases, it's almost like an addiction to keep opening more bases, more bases and more bases, you know, all, all across all across the world. So, you know, there's a huge, you can draw a line from Senegal all the way to Somalia of US bases that are just lined up just across, you know, from West Africa all the way to East Africa down you know, to the Horn of Africa. So it's it's how it's how uh, the US in you know, a strategy you know operates with foreign bases in certain regions to further their interests first. And for them now, there's not there's not so much US troops in West Africa. It's maybe what I, I remember talking to a former US colonel then saying it's maybe, well, maybe a few hundred a few hundred uh, you know in Niger you know and around uh, and surrounding co- countries but that that they being there is not uh, it's primarily for intelligence and logistic you know purposes. Whether that will be taken with a pinch of salt or not is not really important. I think the important thing is if they want to leave, they they should do that in coordination with regional security forces so that there will be no gaps or no sudden gaps, and that might just hurt you know uh, our own security you know missions and peace building efforts. All right, you've given us a really good overview on what's happening in Africa, especially being the first uh, episode on geopolitics and empire where we looked uh, at Africa. I'm sorry it took so long and I'll have to keep looking at this topic more frequently. Is there any um, final thought or or final issue that you want to leave us with regarding uh, Africa today? Yeah, I think just like I've said before, I think it's very important now for Africa at this time in the world no matter the country, whether it's East Africa, West, South, you know, Central, it doesn't matter, to begin to put on their geopolitical cap because it's through that lens that we can understand what these countries are doing in the continent of Africa. Whether, it, whether it's in Libya, why is Turkey in Libya? Like, it, that, that question cannot be answered from Turkey want to contribute to international peace and security. No. You have to, we have to look at, we have to follow the money, we have to follow the resources, we have to follow the interests. You know, why is Russia coming here? Why is China here? Why is the U.S. doing this? Why are they not doing that? You know, once we, once it's very important for us as Africans right now to begin to look at news through that lens. When you hear something in the news, the first thing that should bring the mind, not for everybody, but I'm studying for those international you know, relations and international politics, is how does this news impact world power distribution, especially in the, at the continental level? And it's 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 going to be very very important because in the co- era of Cold War, it's the interest things move really fast. You know, interests are perpetually shifting as this is a very dynamic environment, and it it would be a disservice, you know, to Africans if our leaders and if you know policy experts are not really you know looking at global events you know through that lens of geopolitics. Your Twitter feed is at at. Ovigwe Egwegu, that's O-V-I-G-W-E-E-G-U-E-G-U. And it's a very excellent resource that, that I f- follow and constantly retweet. And you also, I think, write for the Africa Report and the China Africa Project. Are there any other websites or projects you'd like to mention? Yeah, I'm just in, I'm just in, in the middle of in launching something like a, a hybrid between publication and a, a political advisory firm. So... We're looking at maybe sometime in June to really launch, but we've been doing a lot of work behind closed doors. So that's it, africapolitica.com. That's another watch out for that space. Yeah. So I'll say to your excellent, excellent audience, they should be looking out for Africa Politica. 
Okay, that's very cool. I'll be looking out for that. Uh, and it's been a pleasure of Wigwe talking to you for this uh, first time. And I look forward to speaking uh, again in the future. And thanks for being on Geopolitics and Empire. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed this Geopolitics and Empire podcast and interview, I would like to remind you that our website is geopoliticsandempire.com, and you can sign up for our mailing list that goes out each weekend with the latest podcast and a long collection of important news headlines. It's good to sign up for the newsletter in case we experience censorship and deplatforming. You can help the Geopolitics and Empire podcast by subscribing to and interacting with all of our channels such as YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Gab, Minds, and Steemit. You can also help us by leaving a rating and review on your favorite podcast platforms such as iTunes, CastBox, Stitcher, Spreaker, and so on. Finally, if you value our work and our mission and would like to see us continue interviewing experts from across the political spectrum, please consider leaving a one-time donation via PayPal or Bitcoin or becoming a regular monthly supporter on our Patreon. All the links can be found on geopoliticsandempire.com. Thanks for listening.